just absolutely wonderful. Well, take your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation. I'm going to start in, uh, we're going to skip a couple of things. I'm going to make you use your Bibles a little bit this morning. Uh, start in Revelation chapter 6, which I'll get to in just a moment. But again, welcome to Union Grove Baptist Church. If it's your first time, a special welcome to you. And uh, of course, we always love uh, uh, those of you that have been here for uh, most of your life to just a few days. Every single person is important to us here at, at uh, Union Grove. We like to call this the church that God's love is building. And uh, it's so important that you understand how much God loves you. But we want you to know that you're loved by the people too. So I trust uh, uh, if you see somebody that you don't know, uh, you got to mug them, folks. And uh, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, our visitors, as you all know, they get a, a nice coffee cup with some nice candy in it. But uh, we want to make sure everybody feels loved and cared for. And uh, if you see somebody standing maybe by themselves, always go over, introduce yourself. Don't be shy. Uh, it's a great way to make friends. And what is a better thing than to make friends with people you're going to spend eternity with? Uh, it's a good thing. So the church that God's love is building. Probably one of the most important services that we're going to have, barring last week, uh, is going to come up during Sunday school. I don't often tout Sunday school as a, as a keynote, but this is a keynote. Dr. Greg Huffman, who's here with us, uh, came in from Georgia about a week ago, and when we went to the Refresh Conference together in Ankeny, but he's going to be uh, dealing or sharing on this. And you say, well, what makes him an expert on dealing with the loss of a loved one? Well, if you see that lovely lady up there with Dr. Huffman, that was taken right here at Union Grove Baptist Church last uh, Valentine's banquet where he was a speaker his precious wife went home to be with the Lord five weeks ago. Now, is it tough on him? You bet you it's tough. You say, well, he's a Christian pastor. It shouldn't be tough on somebody who walks with God. It's tough on everybody, folks. And uh, I've watched uh, the tears flow. It hurts. It hurts for anybody, preacher or non-preacher. But he's going to share uh, in Sunday schools so about 1045 or whenever I get done. And... Uh, I want you to be up here. So I believe, and where's Steve Pitsenbarger, Lori? Are, are the youth coming up today? All right, so high school and above. Uh, we're all going to meet in here this morning. Where's Richard Trushan? They in here today? All right, and then I know Steve Brown's class wanted to be in here, so uh, we'll pack the place out for this very, very important message. So please be here uh, after the break for that. Tonight, uh, uh, Dr. Huffman, who's preached on revival and literally around the country in different places, uh, one of the key things that we're dealing with here at the church and we want to make a forefront is reaching for revival this year. So uh, Dr. Huffman, tonight, 6 p.m., I, I believe it or not, we put this on the Internet. I got people calling from uh, hour over hour away saying, hey, is he going to be here tonight? I'm like, yep, they're like, we're going to be here. Uh, so don't miss out. It's your church. People pay big bucks to get here. <laughs> And uh, you get it uh, because you're part of the church, so if you can be here tonight, please come. Uh, you'll hear a message that will stir your hearts on revival. Well, let's get right into the book of Revelation. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 6 for a moment, <clears throat> and I want to take you down to verse 9. We're going to be looking at the throne room of God this morning and some of the things that will be happening because of that. But I want to remind you of what's taking place during what's known as the tribulation period. So after the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation will kick in. Twenty-eight major judgments will take place, seals, bowls, trumpets, 
uh, what do I leave out? Seals, trumpets, thunders, and bulls. There we go. Uh, so 28 major judgments uh, will be taking place. And I want to take us right to the beginning of when these judgments will be kicking in in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. We're talking about the first set of judgments, and here's what verse 9 says. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. The Lord is talking about during the tribulation time that those who come to Christ, and many will be converted, they'll trust Christ, but they'll be martyred for their faith. Move over a couple of chapters, go to Revelation chapter 13. And in Revelation chapter 13, we it of course talks about the one world government, the one world economy and the one world religion that will be forced upon all all people in the world except believers uh, at the midpoint of the tribulation period or after three and a half years. All those who come to Christ will face this. Those who refuse to take, if you will, the mark of the beast. Go down to Revelation 13 and verse 15. So he was, he speaking of the false prophet, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, which is the Antichrist, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. Back in uh, chapter 6, God made it clear that there's going to be folks that will come to Christ and they'll be martyred and they're crying out to God, when are you going to avenge our blood? And he said, just hang on. There's a lot more folks that are going to come to Christ during the tribulation period. They're going to be martyred and killed. And we get to Revelation 13 during that uh, last half of the tribulation period. And God uh, reminds uh, uh, us or them that will exist at the time and tells us about what will happen in the prophetic future that those who come to Christ will indeed suffer martyrdom unless they somehow manage to escape by going underground. Let me ask you this, and this is basically comes out of the conference that I just came from. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? What happens if Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime? What happens if he comes back this week? What happens if he comes back in the next month? God now looks at us and he says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Folks, our churches, it's getting pretty full. But the one thing I did when Valerie and I committed to being pastor and pastor's wife at this church, two main reasons why we went off the road and came here. Number one was I wanted to spend time with a, a group of people that I could call my church family. We were on the road every week, different group of people every single week. And that's why we love you folks, because we care about you, and we do want to spend time with you. The second reason why I got off the road was because when you're doing prophecy conferences, which I love doing, I still love doing them on occasion. We'll do a couple this year. You know how hard it is to win folks to Christ when you're going church to church to church, church to church to church, conference to conference? It's very difficult. 
and especially when on that particular topic you don't always get a lot of unbelievers. And I said, Valerie, we need to get back to concentrating on sharing the gospel with folks and seeing folks come to Christ. We've seen some of that here, but oh, nothing like Brother Rich would like to see, <laughs> and I think like many of you. I looked down at Courtney, and when we did Jeff's funeral just a few weeks ago, and several of you had told me the heartbeat of, of Jeff, who's now home with the Lord. He said, you know what I'd really like to see at, at church? He said, I'd, I'd like to see more folks coming to Christ. And I said, amen, praise the Lord. That's, that's, that's exactly it. So in a sense, and we'll be giving you some ideas, things that we're going to be doing over the, uh, the next several months here, and I think you'll be excited about it, good ways to reach folks in our own community. Folks, there's a, a, one of the key speakers, and I'm way off subject right now, one of the key speakers uh, came from a logging town up in uh, rural Washington, 4,500 people in that area. Now, folks, we have some 4,500, 4,900 people that belong that are part of Union Grove. In just his logging town, he doesn't have Kenosha County, Racine County, uh, Milwaukee County surrounding him. In nine years, they're now, they went from a, a basically a starter church. They now average about 350 people in a town of 400 or 4,500 people with no surrounding community. They're getting close to have reached 10% of the people that live in that small community. And I said, praise the Lord, that's wonderful. And we've done, you've done a marvelous job reaching out to, to folks, and God's done some great things here. But, oh, I think we can do so much more, and I'm excited about that. I hope you are, too. You know how exciting it was last week when uh, uh, someone makes a profession of faith in Christ. Oh, we have to see that every single week. Wouldn't it be great to see new babies, new Christian life added every single week? And that's what's exciting. So discipling believers, sharing the gospel, seeing folks make decisions for Christ, it doesn't get any better than that, at least from my perspective. But as we go through Revelation 15 this morning, and maybe we'll get to a, a one or two verses in 16, we're going to go up to heaven, if you will. We're going up to the temple in heaven where the Apostle John was told about some horrible, the last horrible judgments that will take place on this earth before Jesus Christ returns. And the title this morning is called, God Never Leaves You Guessing. He always tells you what's coming. It's not a blindside. There's not a single person on this earth that's going to be blindsided by God because everything that has happened is happening and will happening from God's perspective. He puts it right out there, and we'll see that this morning. So we're going to look at chapter 15, which is basically the introduction to the last set of horrible, catastrophic judgments that will be coming upon this earth. May I remind you back in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, that Jesus said himself, Unless these days had been shortened, unless it would have been kept to this short period of time, these seven years, and these bold judgments, if you will, will happen over a very short period of time. Unless those days have been kept as few as they are, the time has been shortened, no person would survive. These judgments are absolutely catastrophic. They're horrible. They're mind-boggling as to what's going to take place. But let me keep in mind, why is God telling us about these judgments to come? Why will literal people go through these literal judgments? 
God looks down at me and you and says, what are you going to do about this? Hmm. We'll get to that at the end. So we're going to be looking, if you will, to the introduction of the seven, what are called bowl, or if you have a King James Version, vial, vial, simply we're not talking about little test tube kind of things. We're uh, literally talking about bowls, big vials, if you will, of the judgments that will be poured on this earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation. A couple of introductory questions. you believe that God attempts to warn you when you are about to make a potential life-altering mistake? Well, I personally think he does. And definitely through the scriptures. When the Bible tells you to do or not to do something, how do you respond? What happens when you purposefully go against someone in authority? Now, folks, believe it or not, God's in authority. Most of us here would say, yeah, I mean, what God says, that's what we want to do. We want to follow what the Lord says. But sometimes we just want to say, nah, I don't think so today. I want to do it my way. Well, let's find out what happens to those that reject the warnings, if you will, of God. So we will examine the guaranteed most devastating set of future judgments on earth since the catastrophic worldwide flood. Father, I pray now as we open up the word of God, you speak to hearts this morning. I pray that not a single one of us will walk out of here not realizing the importance of sharing uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I pray as we look at these horrible, catastrophic things that are yet to come, that we be motivated to tell the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, Father, do what only you can do in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So what we're looking at, and for those that are a little bit new to, uh, if you will, end times Bible prophecy, we currently live in what's called the church age. It started after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will end in an event called the rapture, when Jesus Christ will take the body of Christ home. When will that take place? According to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54. It doesn't tell us the exact time. All we know is it will be the last event that will take us out of here. After those events happen, uh, the seven-year tribulation period will begin. Daniel 9.27 tells us the Antichrist will come on the scene, confirm a covenant with the Jewish people. The church-age folks, all of us that have trusted Christ, will be up in heaven with Jesus. All right, so just a very quick review. Uh, when we look through what we've gone through over the past year, and of course we had about a three-month break from Revelation, back in Revelation chapter 6 we looked at the seal judgments. We moved ahead, and then in the, uh, a few chapters later, we looked at the seven trumpet judgments. Now, the seven thunder judgments in Revelation chapter 10, God said, I'm keeping those a secret. He wouldn't even tell us what they were. So we know about the horrible things that God has guaranteed will happen, and now he leaves these seven up to your imagination. Now we come into the last section, Revelation 16, where we're going to talk about these seven bowl, or if you will, vile judgments. Revelation 15, the entire chapter, though small as it is, is an introduction to the horrible final wrath of God in Revelation 16. All right, so you should have an outline you can follow along. I'm going to speak quick this morning. Uh, if I don't, uh, uh, we won't get out at a reasonable time, uh, so excuse me if it's a little faster than normal, but uh, we want to get through this material. Revelation 15, uh, starting at verse 1. The Apostle John said, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now let me make it very clear. 
There are certain groups out there that talk about that the church age will not go through the wrath of God. I 100% agree with that. The problem is there's multiple different theological positions as to when the wrath of God will take place. Um, do me a favor. Go back to the Revelation chapter 6 again. And there's uh, what's called the mid-trib position, pre-wrath position, post-trib position. You say, what do you think about all those? Well, I think they deny uh, a, a, a strong uh, literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, again, if you understand God's prophetic timeline from Daniel 9, 24 to 27, there should be no doubt about the, the rapture taking place before the tribulation between, between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Now, for some of you said, that's Greek to me. I don't understand a word you said. That's okay. We'll come back to that another time. Uh, but we want to show about the wrath of God. Uh, go to verse 12 of Revelation 6. Revelation 6, verse 12. I looked, John said, when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the what? Oh, what? Okay, now all those watching that hold different positions, would you please pay attention to Revelation chapter 6 when he's talking about the first set of judgments which happened during the first three and a half of the tribulation being what? The wrath of God. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Folks, the wrath of God begins in the start of the seven-year tribulation to begin the purging of this earth of all that is evil. So uh, when we come up to this, God is now saying 21 judgments later, so we've had the seal judgments, the, bull, or, uh, the trumpet judgments, the thunder judgments. We're now starting the last of the sets of judgment, and, and what does he make very clear? In this, finally, the wrath of God will be complete. Verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had the victory over the beast or the Antichrist, remember the beast always referring to the Antichrist, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. So basically what he's, what he's taking, uh, uh, he's giving us a, a symbolic look at what's going to happen in the future. Many people that trust Christ, what's going to happen to them during the tribulation? They're going to be what? They're going to be martyred. They're going to be killed for Christ. And now God looks up in the throne room, and here's all these saints. They're up there. They're praising uh, the Lord there. Um, and I get you. You know, some people say, well, we're going to sit on clouds and play harps. I don't know if we're going to sit on clouds, but uh, definitely we're going to be on what looks like a sea of glass playing harps. Nothing wrong with that, along with those that uh, have died during the tribulation time. So we have this beautiful time, this beautiful orchestration, if you will, of standing before the Lord in the throne room of God with those who have been martyred. Verse uh, 3, these individuals, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, 
Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. Oh, by the way, when is that going to happen? When are all the nations going to gather and worship God? Millennium, seven-year tribulation, preparing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come. Revelation chapter 9, verses uh, 11 through 21, the King of Kings touches down, and what happens? All those who have been offensive to God have been wiped out during the seven-year tribulation, and all the nations that are left, all the people that love God, will be gathered together in Jerusalem to worship Him. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. All right, let's move forward. So, how do we know that these seven bull judgments and vile judgments, if you will, are going to take place? Well, God promises it. Verse 5, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, and where is this? In heaven. You see, God has the perfect temple, if you will, already in heaven. Now, when God designs the temple, the millennial temple that will exist right here on earth, Ezekiel, write this down if you're note takers, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46, Ezekiel 40 to 46, describes the temple that will be in Jerusalem that Jesus Christ himself will build. That's a, if you will, the real temples in heaven. God makes that very clear. But down here on earth, there will also be a temple that will exist when Jesus Christ comes. Uh, let's see, Zechariah chapter 6 tells us that the branch, Jesus Christ himself, will build that fourth temple. You say, well, boy, if one guy trying to build a massive temple, that must take some time. May I remind you that in six days, God made what? The entire and the heavens and the earth and all that there it is, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. Out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures, again, we're talking about angelic beings that are up in heaven, four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the what? The wrath of God who lives forever and ever. It's no joke. It's horrible what's going to be taking place. Most catastrophic judgments that have ever happened on earth, barring the flood, are going to happen right here on this earth. The temple, verse 8, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. So we look up at the throne room of God in the future. Again, this is prophetic, has not happened yet. These are all things that God states will be happening up in heaven after the rapture of the church, after the first almost, uh, about, we can surmise about three-fourths of the seven-year tribulation has passed because when you look at the, the horrible nature of these last judgments, you can't survive very long when these things happen. Now, we're going to pop in, and again, we're going very quick this morning, but I want to get, we're going to cover two bulls this morning, and then we'll stop, and then we'll finish up Revelation uh, 16 next week with the uh, last judgments. But let's take a look at what's taking place here. Revelation 16.1, Then the apostle John said, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bulls of the what? The wrath of God on the earth. Right here, folks, it will happen here. All right, so the condemnation of the worshipers of the Antichrist. Here's the first bull, if you will. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and foul and loathsome sores came upon the men who had the what? 
the mark of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? Revelation chapter 13. Every single person will be mandated to take the mark. You see, that sounds kind of like what's happening with COVID and uh, chips and shots and all that thing. That's a precursor. Folks, I strongly believe God's allowed this to happen in our generation as a precursor to when the Antichrist mandates that every person will take the mark of the beast on his right hand or on his forehead, according to Revelation 13. Isn't it amazing that uh, what's taking place around the world and around the country right now? You say, is that the mark of the beast that's happening today? The answer is absolutely positively no. Uh, there's multiple things that have to happen. We're still here. The church is still here. The Antichrist is not on the scene. The one wide world government has not come to form yet, and we know that the mark of the beast will happen after the first three and a half years of the one world system, Revelation 13. So, you say, well, I think I might have done something. Am I doomed? No, you're not doomed at all because we're not in the tribulation period. But those during the tribulation period that do take the mark of the beast, if you will, uh, they got a problem. So what are we looking at? Every single person that takes the mark, if you will, that, for, that uh, uh, spits in the face of God, if you will, will have these painful and loathsome sores. Let's go back to Revelation 13 to remember how this is going to happen. He, the Antichrist, causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell. By the way, has that happened in some countries already? If you're not vaccinated, you can't, get, you can't buy or sell. They put you in quarantine. They lock you up. Now, folks, again, that's not this. It's a precursor. It's setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. People are being conditioned. So, and you say, do you think Satan's involved in this? I absolutely think Satan's involved in this. He's setting the stage across the world so when the, after we're raptured out of here and the Antichrist comes on the scene and he makes mandates, people are going to be conditioned. They're not going to think, oh, the rapture happened, we need to get right with God now and not take the mark of the beast. No, they're going to say, oh, yeah, whatever, another shot, another, another tattoo, another chip, whatever. They're conditioned. And Satan is a master at conditioning the unsaved. Verse 17, no one may buy or sell except one has the mark. Go to New York and try and get into some restaurants. What happens? No entree. Get out of here. That's just the precursor, folks. This is going to be no one can buy anything or sell anything unless they have, if you will, the mark of the beast of the Antichrist. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, the Antichrist, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, how God or how the uh, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet will implement it, how that quote-unquote 666 concept will be used, that's all the Bible tells us. So we can conjecture, we can speculate, which I don't like to do, but we know somehow the number of man, 666, will be tied into the mark of the beast. All right, let's go back to Revelation chapter 9 and uh, remind us about this uh, of judgment in chapter 16 and how this was a precursor to that. So we go way back to the trumpet judgments, again the seal judgments, then the trumpet judgments. Revelation 9, verse 3, Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you remember back when we preached on this, there's only one group of people that had the seal at this time. That was the 144,000 young male Jewish 
evangelists who were sealed by God in Revelation 7 and talked about in Revelation 14 as well. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. All right, so when we look back at this, and now the, the kids can hopefully catch on with some graphics we'll do now. So we have these horrible scorpions. They're going around the earth. They're stinging every single person that refused to come to Christ. They took the mark of the beast, if you will, and every single one of these people will be stung by whatever these demonic scorpions are, and they'll be tormented for five months. They'll be tormented to the point where people will try to commit suicide, but will they be able to? No. God says, they're gonna, I don't know how it's going to happen. They're going to jump off bridges. They're going to try and cut their wrists. They'll do whatever it takes, try and overdose. And God says, you think you're getting away from the torture? You will not. So all of a sudden, we have these horrible boils, horrible stinging things that people are in such pain and agony that they're literally trying to kill themselves. That's way before Revelation 16 takes place. So what are we looking at? Folks, this is a reminder of what happened back in the Exodus. Remember the ten plagues? One of them, and we, I marked it down there for you in the lower left-hand corner, was boils. God repeats what he started back in uh, uh, when the, uh, the, I'll get it, when the Jewish people, the Hebrew children, were trying to get out of Egypt, and Moses had all the plagues that uh, they did. And finally, the death of the firstborn got Pharaoh's attention. We go back to Exodus chapter 9. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. Folks, that happened about 1500 B.C. And now God says, listen, there's judgment that's going to be coming in the yet future. People will first have these horrible stinging scorpions that will cause horrible, horrific pain for five months. Then we come up to where we are now in Revelation chapter 16, and he's now saying there's another set of horrible, if you will, boil-type judgments, painful-type judgments. Repeat of what we just said. So the first one out poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Folks, that's coming for all those who refuse to come to Christ and take, if you will, the mark of the Antichrist. Well, let's close with this one, the second one the ceasing of life in the seas. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And catch the next word. How many, how many living creatures die here? Every living creature in the sea dies. Well, wait a minute. Didn't we talk about this a little bit earlier? We talked about back in the second trumpet that one-third of the seas had already been destroyed. Now, God kind of started in the trumpet judgment. And by the way, the seal judgments start out, then we move up to the trumpets, then to the thunders, then to the bulls, and Matthew reminds us it's like a lady in labor. The contractions start out a little further apart, not quite as intense, not pleasant for sure, but they're not quite as intense. And as we keep going up the scale, as we keep telescoping open, the pains get much, much worse and much, much closer together like a lady in labor. 
We're now into severe labor when we get to the bowl vile judgments. But just a reminder, back in uh, um, uh, Revelation chapter 9, when we're talking about the trumpet judgments, and this is kind of a half-red, half-normal-looking picture, but a third of the seas became blood. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So something massive is going to happen in about the middle of the, a little bit before the middle, based on my understanding, when this will take place, and all of a sudden we have this catastrophic judgment that's taking place on the seas, where a third of the seas will be made blood, causing a massive amount of death, if you will, within the waters. Uh, the fish, of course, will die. Not only will the fish die in a third of the waters, making this ugly, horrible, stinking stench and taking away food supplies, but also one-third of all the ships, based on uh, being, if you will, in bloody waters, uh, will be destroyed at that time as well. Now God ups the ante. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and became blood as a dead man. And not just one-third of the sea is destroyed, but 100% of it is. Now, folks, when you start to think about this and who lives on islands and who needs the seas for food supplies out in uh, different parts of the world, God is causing a massive judgment to take place. He's taking away the food supply. He's taking away water supplies, as we'll see uh, next week. Virtually everything that me and you enjoy today is going to be gone by the time the uh, seven-year tribulation. How can anybody survive? How can you survive this? God says unless those days were shortened, not one person would survive. Not one piece of blue water will be left in the seas. Everything will be gone. All the ships will be destroyed. All the uh, creatures in the, uh, uh, that we use uh, uh, for food will be destroyed. Isn't that a gorgeous picture? It's horrible. Folks, that's for real. These are waters that got contaminated, and you see what happens to fish when they're in contaminated water. Big giant whales and sharks and all the rest. Dead, gone, food supply destroyed. What does that mean to me and you? How many of you have a neighbor, and don't raise your hands, just think, because we all raise our hands. These questions are designed to get you to raise your hand in your heart. How many of you have a neighbor that if they died right now, they go to the lake of fire for eternity? How many of you have kids that you go to school with that if they died right now, the catastrophe came through Union Grove, a tornado hit, and all of a sudden uh, buildings are destroyed. Young people are unfortunately killed in the tornado they're lying in a schoolhouse, high school, college. How many of us have neighbors that live a stone's throw away from us that we've never shared the gospel with? How many of us have sons or daughters or moms and dads or uncles and aunts that if they were to die right now, there's no hope for them of going to heaven? You say, Brother Rich, how can you make such a judgmental statement? Well, folks, here's the, here's, here's the, the simple answer. If somebody's never done what we talked about this morning, accepted the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, there's only one place they can go. And it's not to judge you, my friend. It's to help us to wake up that there's a lost and dying world on its way to an awful place called the Lake of Fire. And Jesus said, they will know us by our what? 
Thou knowest by our what? Oh, love, 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 love. You know, there's a great sale going on at Walmart today. Do you know that you can go to Walmart or Target or, or maybe uh, uh, get on the Internet and go to Amazon, and there's some really good deals today? And what do we do? We get on the phone, we tell our sons, we tell our daughters, we tell mom and dad, hey, uh, uh, did you see? I, I thought you were looking for this item, and it's on sale. You can really get it for a great price, and you can't wait to get on the phone or text them a message and say, hey, hey, hey it's great. Look at this. And then same person that you know never put their faith and trust in Christ. Well, you know, I pray for him. I think about him a lot. Breaks my heart. The Bible says, now then, Christian, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were what? Pleading through us. We implore you. We beg you. We admonish you in the most loving possible way. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be what? Be reconciled to God. What's God saying, my friends? And I'm speaking to myself too. You know how hard it is to tell somebody the gospel? Say, yeah, I know. For many of you, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. And God says, we may not have the gift of evangelism, but we should have the gift of love, right? Folks, I'm stamping on my toes right now, and I forgot my steel-toed boots, so it hurts. God says, what are we going to do about this? What y'all going to do about this? We've got some seats left, folks. You say, well, I have a hard time preaching the gospel to folks. Well, invite them to church. Come and see. <laughs> so I got saved. My sister said, come and see. I went to a Bible study, got saved. Just come and see. Come and see what's going on down there at that old church in Union Grove. Come and see. If you can, share the gospel. Folks, Union Grove Baptist Church, reaching for revival, reaching for souls, walking with God, that's Union Grove Baptist Church. That's what we want it to be, and I think that's what you want or you wouldn't be here. You love God, you want to serve him. Can we do it this week? What will you do for and with Jesus this week? Father, thank you for your love for us. What a wonderful morning of remembering you, remembering what you've done for us in your death, burial, and resurrection. What a wonderful time as we look through the book of Revelation and you've told every single person through your word exactly what's going to happen. No, no guesses. Those who love Jesus will be up in heaven rejoicing. Those who reject him will suffer because of your justice. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look in our hearts right now and say, what am I going to do about this? What does this mean to me? Would you please do me a favor while every head's bowed and clo eyes closed in a matter of prayer right now? Think about one person that's, you know, lives in the area here, maybe somewhat within driving distance. Is there one person that you know is unsaved that you can start praying for this very moment? Will you pray for that one or two or three people, maybe a few more that you know? Will you make a list and will you put it on your prayer list every single day? Pray for that person that God would bring them to Jesus Christ. 
You can't save them, but the Holy Spirit can work on their hearts, can you? Would you pray for that person? Would you pray about inviting them to church? Would you pray about maybe sharing the gospel with them? I'm just asking you to commit to one right now. Who's that person? Do you have them? Do you have her? Folks, I'm going to share this and be done. I had a list when I first got saved. About 25 people were on it that I did just this very thing for. Every single one has come to Christ. Is that a guarantee? No, it's not. But I'll tell you what, if we don't pray for people, if we don't beg God for people, if we don't witness to people, I will guarantee the outcome will be different. Father, seal what's taking place in hearts right now. Help us to be loving on each other and help us to be loving on those that need Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.